Welcome to the Wellness Renaissance Podcast, exploring topics to help you find the pieces that fit into your health puzzle. Employees stay in those situations when they feel trapped. Not only can it affect their physical health, but that ripples out into interpersonal relationships and they will tolerate a lot of situations that they probably shouldn't. And it and it has a long-term effect on their health. Uh, sometimes we are just looking at the results and we're never asking how they're getting those results and you know what, how they're treating their people or how their people feel about being led by them or having even the success that they've had in the way that they've had it. And we're not looking at what is happening beneath that surface. The other thing that happens is as we reward people for maybe not the best leadership, they'll have less people to deal with because you typically the higher in the company you go, you're the less direct reports mm-hmm. you have, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is that those behaviors and those habits don't go away. And then once you've got a person at a certain level, they have really no incentive to change their behavior. One, they've been convinced that I've been successful all the way along with the way I've been behaving. And and second part of that is they're convinced that whoever's finally telling them at that level that they probably should change is wrong because Mm -hmm. nobody's ever told them that. Wait, 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 hold on. You said something earlier about leadership and destination. What was that again? It is a privilege. It is not a destination. That, that right there, leadership is a privilege, not a destination. That, I think honestly, that's pretty darn profound. And what would the world look like if that was a paradigm shift that we went for? And I know some people believe that to be true. And it kind of depends on what your definition of leadership is. And um, we're going to talk about that today. I think definitely the definition that a lot of people who work under leaders really like as the definition. So whether you're a leader today or somebody who works under leaders or you're sandwiched in the middle, I think there's a lot of yes, 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 that you're all going to be saying. Our culture tends to reward leaderships in money and in prestige of title, but doesn't always, in my opinion, and it seems like in Dawn's as well, always make sure that the leadership is good, that it's creating a good environment. And why are we talking about that today? Because leadership affects our culture, our work culture, and it affects our health. It's looking at where those two things intersect and maybe getting some ideas of what we can do as employees, what we can do as leaders. There are real physical effects that go along from having difficult leaders that you're working under or that you feel stuck under, as we heard in the intro. By the way, this is Judy with Wellness Renaissance, the Wellness Renaissance podcast. And the voice you heard at the beginning is Don Johnson. She is a learning and development professional. Her company is called On The Rise Development. She enjoyed working with leaders and helping them become better leaders so much that she started her own company. And her driving force is every employee deserves a great leader and every leader deserves a great start. Again, all of these things to create a great environment for all of us, for the leader and for those working with the leader. And, you know, we all spend a lot of time at work. So anything we can do to make our work life better on all of us, um, the more the more we're happy at home, but the more we're happy at work and the more productive we will be. 
I love that she's asking the right questions about leadership. As I said, I think so many of you, no matter where you are, you're going to be listening to this and being like, yes, 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 this is what we need. Bringing these concepts of leadership that ultimately affects us, our job, our environment, our home life, our mental state, our stomach, (laughs) our blood pressure. How are we able to manage stress and how much work to manage stress at work? When so many of the things probably really, it's unnecessary, right? Um, they could be, they could be helped with the right assistance. And that is what she does. I don't know how many of you have had this experience, but when you've had to leave a job that you love, you love the job, you love so many of the people, you love the work you're doing. But when you've got a leader who quite literally makes it impossible to be at your job, you know, it really, that's a painful place to be. I've been there myself. And uh, when you don't, you really don't want to go. You really love what you're doing. People like the work that you're doing, but it's so toxic. And when leaders above those leaders can't recognize that and can't hear that, that is really a hard spot to be. So leaders of all levels, she gives you so many great things here to consider. So as you're listening, think about how does this apply to you your work, your experience, your health, and even roles you have that maybe are not in your job, but other leadership roles that you might have in the world, in the community. Before we dive in, I absolutely want to thank you so much for listening. I want to thank you so much for my Patreon supporters. You guys really don't know how much I appreciate you. Not only are your contributions financially really helpful, your support is also just on an emotional level, really helpful. So thank you so much for that. And I want to thank our advertising sponsor, Green Home Solutions. Green Home Solutions are your indoor quality experts. They work with mold, disinfections, odors, and allergen control. And I know as spring is coming and water is melting, remember water and mold Uh, places where water is, that's where mold can start. So keep an eye on that. And I'm just telling you from the experience I've seen of people who have mold issues in their life, if you can stop it before it's a problem, it is a big deal. Here local in Duluth, Green Home Solutions, you can reach Steve and his crew at 218-576-5293. Otherwise on the web, greenhomesolutions.com. There's a place you can put in your zip code and it will let you know where the nearest Green Home Solutions is to you. Check them out if you have any questions. My experience is that they are great at helping you figure out what you need. All right, let's dive in with Don Johnson with On The Rise Development. All right, shall we dive in? Yes, let's do it. Okay. First of all, welcome to my wellness podcast. I am super excited to have you because one of the things, you know, as you know, looking at all of the the different directions that I go on my podcast, wellness is a huge continuum. And I love to talk about some of the things that we don't necessarily think about all the time and connect with wellness. And, um, and you got it uh, right away, which I loved. And so we're going to be talking about leadership and you can maybe encompass this better in words than I can, but I think of our workplace, our leaders, the the people that are leading us or us as leaders, and how that interacts and intersects with our health and wellness of ourselves, of our family, 
you know, all of these things really feed into each other. And it affects us probably more than we know. I mean, anybody who has a stressful job or has something particular that's going on that that you maybe feel a little powerless to deal with, that can take you, you know, that takes a lot of your energy and your bandwidth. So I love it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Judy. I'm very excited to be on your podcast. My very first podcast. So that's very exciting for Yay. me. Yay. <laughs> Uh, so as Judy said, my name is Don Johnson, and I'm what we would call a learning and development professional. So I uh, work for full-time for a uh, publicly traded company that's headquartered here in Duluth. And through that role, I've spent a lot of time on leadership development, but I also work with teams and individual employees on a variety of different initiatives and topics. I am also the founder of On The Rise Development. That's my own little corner of the world. And I started my business because I believe that every employee deserves a great leader and every leader deserves a great start. So through my little uh, business, I work primarily individually with leaders and I provide them with an opportunity to use a very powerful tool called the feedback assessment. And that allows them to get some formal feedback and get a greater understanding of how their leadership is perceived from the people around them. So their leader, their direct reports, uh, and their peers. And we can take a look at that and, and create a really nice, solid development plan to help them have greater impact on those they lead and take their department or their business um, to that next level with really strong, happy employees. So... As I'm listening to you say that, I'm thinking, how do you do that in such a way that you're able to get like really honest and open feedback from employees? Because I can think of situations where I'd be like, no, nah, it's great. Oh, it's awesome. You know, <laughs> while I'm seething inside or crying inside, right? For the fear of what that might actually look like in the end. Yes, really, really great question. And uh, what happens is we send out a an assessment electronically to the people that the leader has selected, and they respond to the assessment anonymously. So there, that those results are reported back to me. They're all in aggregate. Um, there's an opportunity to put comments in. So unless they identify their position or their name, or they have a maybe maybe a very distinct way of speaking or writing. Um, most of the time, the leaders cannot obviously tell who's written those responses. So most leaders uh, don't get that opportunity to get that really deep, rich, anonymous feedback, at least not early on in, in their career. My experience is that, you know, maybe at an executive level, we start using these, or maybe at a director level, we start using these assessments. And by that time, a lot of these patterns are established. And then they're going to really struggle to shift behaviors. And so if we can catch leaders early on and make this a normal part of the development process and a normal part of the process for employees to participate in this type of feedback, uh, I found that that after a leader has gone through a leadership assessment like this, and if they can demonstrate to their team that they are sincere and grateful for the mm. feedback and that they are really making an effort to, to work on something. And I tell them, don't, don't be shy to tell people like there, here's a theme I learned and I'm working on it and please help me, you know, to continue to learn. We find that, that employees are more likely if they had a positive experience that 
at that first assessment and the leaders making some changes that they're more likely to one participate again, but they're also more likely to give feedback in the moment. If the leader says, Hey, you know, can you give me some feedback on how I led that team meeting or whatever? They're, they're more likely to take a little bit more of a risk because they know the leader's open to that. Yeah. That makes it all the world a difference, you know, <laughs> in, in your response or being able to be kind of lighthearted about it and not be the one to have to bring something up. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're looking for themes too. So I, you know, oftentimes maybe a, a leader might get a comment that is, you know, very specific, but it doesn't fit with the theme. I say those, those comments are great for self-awareness, mm. not necessarily something, you know, like we're looking for what are the kind of the big things that we can move forward. And so uh, maybe that's more of a personal preference from one of your direct reports, still important to, you know, to know about it, but not necessarily maybe something that you're going to try to, you know, you're going to worry about or change uh, right now. We're going to try to move some of these other larger pieces forward and hope that some of the other things will correct behind them by choosing the right things to work on. That's got to be interesting. It's fascinating. It really is. Uh, And I didn't think when I first did my first few, uh, I was part of my full-time job. We had built this process into a leadership program. So I I got certified and I did my first few with leaders that I I knew from the company. And um, it probably took me a good handful, maybe almost 10 before I really got comfortable with it. And once I got really comfortable uh, and kind of knew how people might react to the feedback, I can't predict everybody, but I try to make it a really positive experience for the leader because sometimes they maybe aren't hearing things that are super positive. Mm -hmm. And as long as I kind of got into that rhythm of of uh, being able to get really confident with the tool. It's been really fun and really fun to work with leaders and to help them get that insight. When you see that light bulb goes on, oh, of course. Yeah, I can fix that. I can work on that. So it it is really rewarding. I heard you say that they choose the people. So that's kind of already a certain amount of comfort. You know, do you want to stay in your comfort zone? Do you want to expand your comfort zone a little bit? You know? Yes, I always say choose your friends, choose the people who are going to, you know, are going to be your champions and give you good feedback. But you also need to include those folks who maybe you don't always agree with, the ones who you know are going to give you the constructive feedback, because that's where the learning is, right? We want some good, you know, good positive feedback, some pats on the back, but we also really, that's the whole purpose of this, right, is to uncover something that we're not aware of, some perception we're not aware of, and how can we um, then work on that? Let's just dive in a little bit to the intersection of where does our health intersect with leadership? So just talk about that piece of it and go from there. Yeah. So uh, I thought this was a fascinating topic as you and I talked about this because uh, it is, we spend so much time at work. And so who we spend time with makes a difference to our health, our happiness, our satisfaction uh, with life and with work, career. And I'll start with a story because I I have a personal story about how uh, stressful work life can impact your health. So about, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago, it was quite quite a while ago, I went into a morning meeting with my leader and he got really upset started yelling and yelling at me, blaming, you know, he was, it was just, he kind of just went off on me. And uh, so very, very tense, um, stressful meeting. 
And this is what 10 o'clock in the morning and in the afternoon, about 1.30, I had my annual physical appointment. So I went in, they do your, you know, take your blood pressure, all that kind of stuff. And normally I have low blood pressure or, or, uh, um, you know, just pretty normal blood pressure. And the nurse noted how high my blood pressure is. She said, I, I'm looking at back at your history and you have really good blood pressure. Like why all of a sudden are you, are you so out of whack? And so I said to her, I said, well, I'm still feeling a little tense and nervous and tension from this interaction I had with my leader earlier in the day. Unbeknownst to me, she wrote that in my medical record. So the next couple of years after <laughs> that, when I went to the doctor, uh, they would, were always looking at my blood pressure and, and they would say, oh, your blood pressure's back to normal. We, you had this weird spike, you know, a couple years ago. And I actually said to one of the nurses, I said, well, yeah, I said, that was kind of an anomaly because I'd had this big, you know, interactions, bad interaction with my leader prior to coming in. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's right here in your medical record. Had a disagreement with leader. <laughs> <laughs> um, we think this is the reason for the blood high blood pressure. So since then, my blood pressure has been perfect, right? But but if I would have, I did eventually leave that position. It took me several months, but um, because that tension stayed, right? That in that moment, like all collegialness all for all you know collaboration I think was just gone because he had said things that he couldn't take back and whatever so it was very very stressful and so when employees stay in those situations when they feel trapped in those situations not only can it affect their physical health but that ripples out into um interpersonal relationships, right? They're so focused on the bad situation at work or the stressful situation at work that they're not spending the time they can with their children or their spouse, or they're spending time with their friends when they could be talking about something else, talking about this stressful situation at work. So who we spend time with, <laughs> um, you know, in our work day, even though we don't get to choose those people, really does impact, can have a really strong impact on our health. And it's really unfortunate that a lot of employees will stay because they feel trapped. They will stay because they feel like they won't make the same amount of money somewhere else. They've dedicated a lot of their life to that situation, to that mm -hmm. environment, to that company, and they maybe want to retire from there. And they will tolerate a lot of situations that they probably shouldn't. And it, and it has a long-term effect on their health. Yeah. Well, and it's hard when you're an employee and you've got a tough situation or a tough boss or, you know, I, I, I had a job, loved my job and I had a manager who kind of wigged out. And so I went to HR eventually. I did everything in my power to not do that just because I was like, well, we, we, we you know, we knew each other. This should, we can you don't get through this. That was not the case. Um, <laughs> and I talked to HR. Basically, I was just like, how can I get some help? Like, I didn't know what else to do. And I, you know, I had even talked to my previous boss and she was like, you know, no, 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 we love you here. She just doesn't understand what you do. Blah, 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 blah. Right. You know, we're really happy to have you. We're not going to like fire you, you know? And I talked to the HR person and it just went downhill from there. And I was like, okay, so what is your function as an HR person if we can't get through this, mm -hmm. you know? So it was a very stressful situation for me to be in and for other employees as well. So 
when you're feeling that kind of scared to deal with it because that person has power over you mm-hmm. sometimes. And so what advice do you have for those situations where, you know, some companies are big and and, and that doesn't always mean you can find something else you're going to be happy with, but it kind of gives you a little more of a chance sometimes. Yeah. I, you know, I think if you have, if you work for a company that does have a, have a, you know, maybe a larger HR department where they have somebody who can dedicate some time to us to help you through that, um, that sometimes works. But I, what I actually find more often than not, unfortunately, is that uh, if you have a really challenging supervisor, if they have this belief that they're, that they're in the right, or there's some, maybe some kind of personality conflict between the employee and the leader and the, you know, the leader's not going to give in a call from HR probably is going to make that worse, right? Because they're, they're going to dig their heels in further. And so I I never advise that, that an employee stay in one of those situations because they can be not only distressful, but they kind of, they can be demoralizing. They can impact your confidence level. They can impact your, um, it's like being in a bad relationship, right? So mm-hmm. you, um, if you have a, a really uh, negative experience with a supervisor, you can carry that into the next relationship with a supervisor. And so then that can be, you know, can be a struggle that can follow you for your career. So mm-hmm. I, and I've known, I've had very good friends who have really struggled with a bosses that I would consider bullies and, and they stayed way too long um, because it really started to erode their self-confidence and, and that's something that they need to be able to go in and get that next position. They have to have confidence right. in their abilities and themselves. So it can affect, you know, ability to, uh, to make income going forward. So now that doesn't mean that every, every, uh, you know, employee should quit when you have a disagreement with your supervisor. That's not what I'm advising either. But when you have these kind of extreme situations that when you've maybe tried to do some, what I would call coaching up, right. Giving some feedback, seeing if they're open to feedback. Most leaders don't ask for feedback. Uh, most leaders don't naturally do that because mm-hmm. it's a scary, vulnerable place to be. But even if they're not asking for feedback, I often tell an employee, you know, maybe you can think of a way to provide some feedback and see how they react. If they're kind of open to that, then you then you probably can maybe salvage this. If they're not open to that, or if they seem to be retaliating against you uh, for that, then it's probably time to uh, look for a different position. I needed you back then. Where were you? <laughs> um, and I think actually, I think COVID has really opened up. Uh, this is a terrible thing to say about a pandemic, but I think that it has made people realize that there are more companies out there that will hire them than just what they see, you know, in our local landscape. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there, if you had the opportunity to work from home during this time and realize, wow, I really like this. I thrive in this environment and some people don't, Mm -hmm. uh, but, and realize that, wow, you know, I've seen other companies that are hiring, you know, you could you can have a company in Boston or in California and you know when work in be in Minnesota and work for either one of those companies i think it it opens up a world of opportunity for employees i think it also may or my hope is that it will make make employers up their game in terms of holding leaders accountable in terms of developing leaders and making sure cuz we all know that a lot that, that a lot of engagement a lot of the reason people stay is cuz they have a great leader 
a lot of the reason that they leave is mm-hmm. because they don't have a great leader. And I was, I, I can't remember the exact statistic, but there was a study done in the last couple of years. And I want to say it was like, it was above 50%. I want to say it was like 58 or 60% of employees would give up their annual pay raise to see their boss fired. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty, that's pretty extreme. Right. And so not, yeah. not just, not just have them move on, but to see them fired. And, and so that tells you that there's really a lot, lot of opportunity. There's a really lot, a lot of work that can be done in the terms of leadership development and for organizations to make sure that they're, that they're growing strong leaders and th- that they're holding them accountable to how they treat people. It is amazing. Like when you work in a, in a place where the leadership is good and the team is cohesive, it is just, I, I had a job years ago and, uh, and actually it was in the HR department before I got this job when I dealt with the HR department. And I'm like, I think that's why I trusted the HR department. I thought they had my best interest because that's what I was used to seeing. Um, but you know, I had a job that wasn't glamorous or super, super exciting, but I loved going to work every day. I loved my people and I trusted my team and we helped each other out and we loved, you know, we loved our time together and oh my gosh, we, and we talked about that, how much we had such a great team and how much we just all enjoyed it. And then we had a leadership switch and it changed all of the dynamics and it changed the the attitude and we didn't quite, you know, because of a few things that happened, we didn't quite trust the situation anymore. And it was just amazing how that shift and you couldn't put your finger out. Like, I'm like, what made our last team so amazing? And I think it was, I mean, looking back now, I can definitely see some of the leadership pieces that were fully into place and in so like in such a healthy way. Um, we, we should maybe even take a step back and, and ask the question, what does it mean to be a leader? What does that like mean in your, in your mind? Wow. In my mind, there's just, if you ask many people about the definition of leadership, they will come up with so many different definitions, but in my mind, uh, it is about, um, leading people to achieve, uh, you know, the goals of your department, the goals of your organization. So it's about the center of this is people. And you can't lead people without having a relationship with it. At its essence, uh, um, leadership is about having relationship. So you've got my back. I trust you to have my back. Uh, I trust that you have my best interests in mind. When you see things that you think I'd be good at or interested, you know enough about me to be able to put me on those those tasks or to be able to give me that opportunity. And uh, when you have leaders who are very focused on tasks, um, and we still, I think we're in this really interesting kind of intersection between industrial age and knowledge <laughs> knowledge mm-hmm. economy, and uh, there are still a lot of um, little pieces hanging around from that um, kind of industrial kind of um, command and control leadership style. And so it has really shifted from that leader, you know, just focusing on productivity and tasks and getting things done to now it is about the people you're leading want to know how well am I doing? Can you give, can you give constructive feedback? Are you, are you giving recognition when appropriate? How, how are you going to grow these folks? Um, Some of the best leaders, you'll see them, the people moving out of their department, not because they're leaving the leader, but because that leader is 
growing. They, she's turning out or he's turning out uh, new uh, leaders all the time and they're going uh, into, into further roles in the, to serve the company. So at the center of that, it is about, is about having enough kind of love of people to be able to, to wake up and start your day start and end your day with uh, focusing on how do I take care of my people? How do I grow my people? How do I get the best out of my people? And oftentimes you might hear a definition that has to do with strategy and vision and productivity, and they get into all these different aspects of leadership. And that's leadership too. But I think those are things that you can teach. So somebody who has the propensity to work with people first, you can always teach them how to create a strategy map. You can always, you know, or they can partner with somebody who has great vision, right? You really can't partner somebody up to, you know, have maybe a difficult conversation or to have a growth conversation with you. You know, you have to be able to do that as the leader. As a kid, right? You go through your life and what's your skill set? And they're usually kind of like, at least when I was growing up, it was the hard and fast, what do I know how to do, right? And I I ended up getting one of my jobs from a, a guy who I had called about his business and it was really clear I wasn't ready to use his business, but him and I sat and chatted for like a half an hour. And he called me up months later and he was like, hey, Judy, you know, this is so-and-so. I want you on my team. And I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> and I was like five minutes into the conversation. I'm like, I'm asking, I'm answering this guy's questions and I can't think, you know, who is, and he finally clicked, but he basically said, you build rapport and I can't teach that. I can teach somebody how to do sales. I can't teach them how to build rapport. And I, I didn't even know that was a thing that I did. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, it was fascinating. I mean, he is one of those people who spots what people do and then where do you fit? you know, but it was an interesting awareness for me to understand that and to hear his perception of that. Um, so like you say, when you can, you can teach somebody some of the, the hard, st- hard skills, but some of those other things, not so, not so easy. Yeah. yeah. Great, great leaders see those natural abilities and they have the ability to grow to, you know, to grow that out of people and get the best out of people uh, from that. I wanted to go back to your, your story about the team that kind of had got the new leader and then um, kind of fell apart um, or it wasn't as cohesive. And, uh, the, you know, instinctual leaders will come into a team like that and should be an instinctual leader will come in and talk to each of those team members. And not assume anything that not not mm-hmm. to not assume anything about that team or those individuals, but meet with those one on one team members one on one as well as with a group, and and they should be asking things like, "What do you love about working on this team? What what's going well?" Like and try to get you know, what they don't want to break, like what they shouldn't fix out of that conversation. Because <laughs> sometimes they come in with their own plans and they, the intention is not necessarily bad or malicious, but it ends up breaking something that was working in the team. So unless they are humble enough and, and, you know, instinctual enough to just pause and take some time to do that, uh, they can actually make their job a whole lot harder if they start to have people who are leaving their team or starting to create conflict because they accidentally broke something. Right. Well, it is it is interesting to think about those people that we we will be led by or that we really grow under and and what are those things that they, you know, that they have in common with each other or what are the things that we were drawn to? And I know you mentioned being humble and that was one of the things about the first boss that I had at that really cohesive team. She was very she's very humble, very personal, personable. 
and you just always felt good around her, but you didn't feel like she had this, uh, this like title that she was waving over you. Like the day that, that she, you know, we were discussing some aspect about my job and she goes like, I don't even know how to do your job. So we, <laughs> you know, so she was learning about how to do my job from me and, and figuring out aspects of it, but it felt, it was done in such a way that it felt really like almost good because I always figured as my boss, she knew better what I did than I did. Right. And, but to have that and be like, oh, wow, I'm sort of an expert in something that you're not. Right. And it, it wasn't like I was feeling proud about that. I was feeling like she was, she was acknowledging that to me. And it was like, okay, I do have something to offer here. Right. Like it just, it felt really different than kind of when you have that boss person who feels like they have to know everything. I understand that culturally, that's how we have grown that piece about being quote unquote boss, but it's not reality. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is a kind of a universal challenge uh, for organizations because so much, uh, so much of the time organizations promote the person who is the technical expert, meaning that they're most happy doing the thing, doing the task. And they're there long enough that then they're like, Hey, you, you know, you, you do great at this task thing you do. You'd probably be really great as a leader. And sometimes that works out, <laughs> but, but a lot of times it doesn't because those are two separate skill sets. Somebody who likes to dive deep and be a um, very much a specialist and, you know, in, in the knowledge and the thing that they're doing, oftentimes isn't going to have the desire to start and end their day dealing with positive or, uh, you know, people problems, positive people issues or, or people problems. They're um, going to flounder. And if they're not happy in their job, you know, a, as a leader, they're not going to do a good job at it. And I think too, we, we probably should talk a little bit about like the stress of leaders because yes, leaders put a lot of stress on employees, but I feel like leadership is also a really stressful job and we expect a lot out of leaders. And sometimes we promote leaders and, and, and we say, Hey, you know, you can be the leader of the team, but do all the rest of your other work too, that you used to do, <laughs> you know? Right. So we, we expect a lot out of leaders. And I always say that that stressed out leaders will stress out their employees. So uh, I think as organizations, we have to be cautious about doing that, like setting a leader up for failure, because we can, uh, you know, just completely dismantle a team by putting by not putting an unprepared leader into that position, or somebody who, uh, you know, putting them in a position where there's too much for them to handle and not a lot of support or training. And that really can, uh, you know, the stress ripples out from the leader to the team, to the team's families and the leader's family as well. So well, and our, our, you know, our pay structure in this country, I really don't know how things are in other countries, but in, you know, it is that whole, you need to reach a leadership, like that's how you grow, or that's where they consider successes, or that's where the pay is. And it's like, you know, I wish more companies would go, you've been here for a bunch of time, you don't want to manage people, but you really like the work you do. So we're going to actually reward you for that. This isn't about you being able to be the manager, because I think people get pressured into that, right? Like they offer you money. And I have seen where 
yeah, people who are not good at managing, they keep they keep getting offered more money because they go to apply for their next big job because they're doing so great at this job and they go apply to the next one and the people below them go, yep, I'm giving you a good review because I don't want you any, to be here anymore. <laughs> so they, they bump them up and the person's going, look at me, I'm making more money. Clearly I'm doing a good job because I just got a promotion and I got a raise and you little people down there are just doing your thing, right? And we don't, structure it. And I don't know if this is a realistic expectation, but we we don't structure sometimes to reward the people who love doing what they do and are willing to commit to doing that and say, I'm not a good leader. This is not my skill set. I'm not going to shine here and I'm not going to do the best for the company. I mean, I've known people who have been put in leadership positions and left because they're like, well, they won't let me go down to that other position. They loved, they, they move on. Yeah, I, that is uh, the, the example you just gave that I think, I think you're right. It's probably an American ideal that we have as employees, like that we will eventually move that, that our career path is to leadership, that that's how we demonstrate our success and our value to the company. But um, what's challenging is that leadership is a big responsibility. It's very stressful. It's a privilege. It's not a destination. It's not like, oh, now I've made it. Now I now I can sit back and just chill out. I'm a big advocate of actually before people become leaders in companies is giving them a opportunity to have a real real life understanding of the pressures and the expectations, whether that's, you know, talking, you know, going to courses and talking to executives or talking to other leaders or just learning about that and, and really being really clear about what the challenges are as you move up that ladder, because you're right. Oftentimes two things happen. One, they move up to that level and then they can't go back. Their position either was eliminated or there's somebody else in it. Mm. And then they can't go back because the company won't let them or because their ego won't let them. Right. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they were like, now I've been a leader now, I, but I don't like this. Maybe if I go supervise this group over here, maybe I'll be happy. No, I'm not happy here either. So they, they can't get out of that, that spiral. The other thing that happens is as we reward people for maybe not the best leadership, as you said, sometimes they get promoted. Like somebody says, I'm just going to put them over here. They'll have less people to deal with because you typically the higher in the company you go, you're the less direct reports mm -hmm. you have. Right. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll put them up here. We'll give them less people. And then they, you know, we won't have that as much of an issue, but the problem is that those behaviors and those habits don't go away. And then once you've got a person at a certain level, they have really no incentive to change their behavior. One, they've been convinced that I've been successful all the way along with the way I've been behaving. And, and second part of that is um, that they're convinced that the, whoever's telling, whoever's finally telling them at that level that they probably should change is wrong because mm. nobody's ever told them that. So it really can create, uh, companies can really create <laughs> um, layers of issues for themselves by not choosing good leaders, you know, or, or leaders who, like I said, they don't have to be completely trained and formed. Leaders are, are never completely trained and formed. They are always learning. They should commit to continuous learning. But somebody, again, who has some propensities um, around this people leadership piece, not just successful with doing the thing, but the people leadership, and then to continue to support and grow them and give them feedback all the way along. Because otherwise, at the first time they're hearing it, when they're vice president, it's painful. And you know, then, then they're paying for high priced executive coaches and all kinds of things to, to try and solve a problem that they actually created by not dealing with it at a, a frontline leadership level 
And they've got a resume of positions that says they don't have to be coachable, you know, they're successful. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It adds a lot of it adds a lot of resistance in there. And you can kind of understand why. But yeah, not not healthy trickle down situations usually. I often don't blame the leaders who get into that situation at all. I like, cause if they haven't been given the, if we haven't been given the feedback, think about that. Any of us at any of our levels, if we're mm-hmm. not given the feedback, we're doing things that make sense to us and the way that we, you know, and we may attribute that to our success. So if we're not given feedback that that's not appropriate, it just, it just doesn't, uh, just never get corrected. No. And that's a really good point. Like that's a different way to think about feedback when we're trying to give that feedback of what a benefit we're giving them as they grow, you know, it's really, a, I mean, it's a real mentor opportunity, but I think sometimes we don't, we don't see it that way. I had a previous leader who, you know, kind of repeated this as a mantra, feedback is a gift, feedback is a gift, but it doesn't feel like a gift, right? It feels oftentimes feels painful. Right. And, but I I, I think again, uh, before you even promote somebody to be a leader, can you say with honesty that when you've given this person feedback as an individual contributor, that they're open to it? that they're maybe able to able to translate some of that into uh, into behavior change. Um, otherwise, please don't promote them <laughs> because, uh, because right, the higher up they go, the less feedback they get as well. So um, an individual contributor who maybe isn't getting a lot of feedback, once they become a supervisor, they're going to get less feedback and they're going to, unless it's very intentional, it's, unless it's part of your culture, unless there's a formal mechanism for giving that periodically. And that's what I feel is so powerful about, introducing leaders early on in their careers to a formal feedback assessment because it makes it part of the process. It's not, uh, I, I've actually worked in, in or seen in many different companies that I've worked for that oftentimes we don't pull out those feedback assessments until a leader is struggling. Mm. And then the the feedback is really painful <laughs> and it, and it's really hard to hear and it's not as helpful. And so, and that's really not the way that these assessments are designed to operate. They're designed to be proactive. They're designed to be a part of a development process. So it, it really, to, to create that expectation and habit from very early on in a leader's career um, gets them used to providing or to, to getting that feedback and, and really taking in, it's not that, not that the, we're going to look at that feedback assessment and say, there's 17 pieces of feedback and you need to address all of them right now. You know, that's not the case, right? We're looking for, um, we're looking for themes. We're looking for kind of big things that they can work on that would be beneficial to them and their team. But, um, you know, when you create that culture of feedback, that is just an expectation. Uh, and uh, like I said, that tends to drive more informal feedback as well, at least in my experience. So um, I always tell leaders too, if you're a new leader, like don't wait. Um, typically to do a feedback assessment, you want people to have a little bit of experience with you. So I don't usually do a feedback assessment with a leader until they've been leading for about a year mm-hmm. um, because the the team needs that experience to kind of see patterns in their behavior to form their perceptions. But that doesn't mean that the leader shouldn't from week one kind of build into their one-on-ones with their employees, you know, asking for feedback. What could they do better? Or even uh, what I think is even better is if there is a, a leader is, knows there's something that they need to get better on, whether that be presenting or leading a meeting or you know whatever it is, ask employees to say, hey, I really love it. Like next time we talk, you know, 
be watching for what I'm doing in the meeting. And I'd love some feedback on, on what I could do better next time. So just creating that expectation, but knowing maybe you're a little afraid to give some feedback. I think uh, too, that I think leaders oftentimes, if they start out with the best intentions of seeking that feedback, they give up by the second or third meeting because the employee's like, no, I don't have any feedback for you. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Um, but if they continue to ask and continue to ask, you know, maybe it's the fourth or fifth time when this one gives them feedback. Maybe it's the 10th time before this one gives them feedback, right? So the, the employees get a sense of that comfort level and that they really are serious about asking for feedback. They're not just, they didn't just take a class and like they told them this is a good thing to do. And so they're just trying it out, you know, that they're really sincere about asking for feedback. Um, they're more likely, and and people have different comfort levels. Employees have different comfort levels with being able to give that. So you can't just give up or not, you know, ask one and not the other. You, I think you really need to be consistent and, and persistent about asking for that. It'll take a while for some people to share. Right. Well, yeah, to trust that they can share, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that yeah, like you said, that you that they really want the want the feedback. Do you do any work with when you see somebody who maybe doesn't give great feedback or maybe just doesn't receive feedback great? Do you have any tools that you utilize to maybe help them, you know, be aware of that? I mean, I suppose when you're in a company and you and you see that, one question could be is the reason they're not receiving feedback about how the feedback has been given to them in the past or whatever. So is that from that, or is it that, you know, maybe they just haven't learned or feel somehow don't feel confident in that? Yeah, it could be a variety of reasons. So a leader might not be open to feedback because maybe they've had a bad experience in the past with feedback. And so it's difficult to hear. They may not. And I think this is a lot of the reason why a lot of leaders don't do something with the feedback. They may be listening, they maybe hear it, but they don't do anything with it mm-hmm. as because they really just don't know what they could do to change that behavior or do something differently. I think that's when it, oftentimes it helps to have a trusted mentor or, uh, you know, somebody like me who works in the learning and development area of your company who you can say, okay, I got this feedback, but I don't really know how to translate this into something different. Like, and then I think it's also, um, I think you also have to think about, again, even if it's informal, is there a pattern of feedback or is that kind of just a one-off piece of feedback? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, so we, in a, in a culture of high feedback, which I don't know if there's all that many of uh, companies that are high feedback cultures, but in, in those cultures, um, leaders may get so much feedback again, they're almost overwhelmed. And so um, they get a little bit of analysis paralysis. And so they, again, trying to help them figure out where the theme is or where the pattern is. It is around, is it around communication? Is it around organization? Is it around, you know, a kind conversation with your team or girl, whatever it, whatever it is. So helping them find that pattern. And, and I don't know if there's a specific tool, um, but I think it does help to bounce those ideas off of a trusted other, somebody who's, um, you know, a mentor or a, a leader. So, and I think the other thing too, is it really makes a difference how much the leader's leader is modeling the same behavior. So if the leader's leader <laughs> above them is, um, you know, maybe, maybe they don't get along. Maybe there are some, some things that they don't like about each other's leadership um, and they're, they're not gelling. Maybe that isn't a trusting relationship and, um, and they're getting feedback from that leader. They're not going to 
they're not going to take that in because they don't respect or trust that that person is doing this from a place of, of growth. Mm-hmm. They may think it's it, they're trying to be hurtful or whatever the reason uh, may be. But um, so I think there's many, you know, many reasons why somebody might not be able to take that in. I think the, the key reason why, cause I don't think leaders are a lot of times intentionally, um, you know, trying to dismiss feedback. I think it's a lot about how do I translate it into action? How do I get that to change? So it's a challenge. I think the only thing wrong, uh, you know, the only thing that that can go wrong in terms of (laughs) with, at least with these formal 360, these feedback assessments is to do nothing with them, right? Because Mm -hmm. um, we've asked people to take time and to provide this anonymous feedback in a safe way. And it, and it, and it is typically very rich, very interesting information. And then when people know that they gave those ratings and gave that feedback and then they see nothing happen, you know, it, that is going to break trust and further put any chasm there might have been starting between team and leader uh, faster than anything is when we don't do don't at least acknowledge that we got that feedback and that we're doing something about it. Right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. One of the things that comes to mind when we're talking about this is introverts and extroverts. We have a culture that really has this belief that extroverts, that's what makes a good leader. And I've read some really interesting stuff about how to help introverts, you know, become good leaders, but they first of all need the chance, right? And we don't see that in our culture. What is your, what is your thought and perspective on that? If you, if you have one? I do have a perspective. I'm so glad that you asked this question because it really is fascinating. I think you're you're spot on to say that maybe in America, you know, maybe it's a little bit more of an American ideal, but we favor those extroverts, the people who will just go get it done and go, 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 go. And, and they're kind of, you know, the ones talking about themselves or they're ones, you know, advocating, uh, they're the ones kind of in the spotlight, right? Because they're, they're probably more top of mind because of that. But I think some of the most powerful people that I have met in terms of leaders were introverts. And, uh, you know, and not, and not to say that, that an extrovert isn't an, an excellent leader. I'm, I'm just saying that we favor that we probably end up with a, a, a misproportion of extroverts as leaders than, than introverts. But introverts can be very, very powerful as leaders because, um, because of that people piece, right? So um, extroverts might be moving a little bit more fast or they might be, um, I, I don't know, um, trying to think of an example, but they may kind of leave the people behind a little bit because mm-hmm. they're they're kind of moving fast and thinking big picture or whatever they're kind of doing with their big personality. Whereas the introverts maybe have more of a tendency to, you know, make sure the people make sure the people are taken care of, being the people along. And uh, so so really introvert extrovert shouldn't shouldn't make any difference with our uh, selection of a leader. Now that I guess I'll put a, a caveat on it in that if you have a leader who has to be in the spotlight all the time, they, you know, an introvert may not be um, as comfortable in that spotlight, right? You, again, don't exclude them from that opportunity, but um, are, you know, check with them to make sure that that would be an area. We don't want to put somebody in a position where they're not going to be successful. But one of the things that I find really interesting 
in that when I do these feedback assessments is that one of there's two, one of two extremes that it happens. And it happens a lot of the times in um, comments around how they lead meetings. So the more um, the people who I consider more now, I haven't done a Myers-Briggs on any of these folks, but the more people that I consider more introverted tend to not be the first to speak. Even if they're leading the meeting, they might kick off the meeting, but they're not. They're listening to everybody. They're letting everybody else speak. And um, and then maybe they're chiming in at the end or or summarizing at the end or a little bit in the middle. Whereas the extroverts, right, they're like, go, you know, let's go. And so they are leading the meeting and then they're sharing their ideas. One of two extreme uh, levels of feedback come from that. They always want um, the people that are giving the feedback, always want the introverted leader to speak more often <laughs> and they want the extroverted leader to speak less. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> and so you have these two extremes that, that very often get these two very extreme levels of feedback. So I think you have to think about um, the, the introvert or the expert has to be comfortable in the position either way. But I think they also um, have to consider if being in that position is going to push them into a place where they don't feel like they're being themselves or being genuine. So oftentimes, especially with introverts, they'll say, well, I, you know, I don't know what to do about that. I want to hear what everybody else's idea is first, <laughs> you know? And so I'll say, well, you know, maybe you should pay attention to how, you know, how often you speak or maybe challenge yourself that in the first 10 minutes that you chime in or whatever, if you tend to wait till the end, so you, that people start to see you um, speaking more. But I said, I don't want you to do something that is going to make you feel like you are being disingenuine. Same with the extrovert, right? So, okay, well, make sure three people talk before you talk is <laughs> a common it's a common activity I tell them to try. But you know, I, I I also don't want you to not speak because you've gotten this feedback. I don't want you to go to the other extreme where you're not feeling genuine or that you're contributing in a very genuine way. So I think we, you know, we have to be kind of be careful with uh, the two, you know the the two um, extremes levels of feedback that those two groups could get mm-hmm. and that we not try to bend them into mold them into leaders. But I think two companies can do that too. So you maybe put an introverted leader, but the company culture is very driven and very extroverted that can create a disconnect, you know, for, for that leader too, and make them feel disingenuine in that position. So Again, lots of things to consider um, when it comes to those two personality pieces. If somebody, you know, I can imagine is, is maybe a leader or, you know, doing something in that type of position and are thinking, I wonder what I'm doing that I'm maybe not aware of, or I'm wondering how do, how do other people perceive me? Because maybe they're in a place where they're not getting a lot of feedback. Is there any, just some general questions somebody can ask themselves that might help them see some of their own habits, good or bad, just to be able to to think about so that they can like do it in their own head first, right? Like where it's maybe a little more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, I think I think to some extent, um, you know, whatever little, you know, some people have a lot of self-awareness and they might look at a room and they're automatically knowing like there's something not right here. Yeah, I don't know what it is I'm saying, but something's not right. Whereas other people may not be a, as aware of that. Um so I think it does take people maybe some intentional kind of analysis of look, you know, when I'm leading a meeting, how are people reacting? 
I want to, I want to look at their body language. Are they folding their arms over? Are they looking down at their paper? And, you know, so they can kind of do that in all the different forums. When I'm leading this meeting, when I'm working one-on-one with somebody, when I'm speaking in public, you know, kind of try to have them have, uh, have some questions or things that they want to pick up on in terms of that audience, because I don't think everybody does that naturally. They don't do that automatically. And so thinking about body language, thinking about kind of the energy in the room, is there a lot of conversation and questions bouncing back and forth or when you're leading the meeting, you know, not so much. And so just a few little behavioral things to pay attention to. And that doesn't give them an answer, a complete answer. But if they're like, now I'm feeling a little uncomfortable that when I'm leading the meeting, I notice that people are looking down at their paper and there's not as much interaction as when Steve is leading the meeting, you know, now, now they can maybe dig into that, maybe do a feedback assessment or ask a peer, ask somebody else who's in the meeting, a supervisor who to, to maybe give them some specific feedback around that. Like, why do you think this is happening? So I don't, again, it takes a lot of kind of courage and humbleness to be able to be open to that, but observing how people are behaving around you is a great way to just kind of clue into that something might not be so right. And then my mind sort of also goes to, you know, what if there's somebody who is kind of like, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm a leader, you know, I'm not sure if that's even what I want to do. I mean, the whole relationship thing, you know, there's aspects of being a leader that sound fun along with the, the challenge. So what, how can somebody either think about that or maybe what do they bring to a, you know, somebody in their, in their network or their job to say, Hey, you know, I'm kind of curious about this Mm -hmm. now. What? Yeah. I think being able to do maybe a little informational interview with um, somebody who is a leader, especially in the company that maybe, you you know, if you're, if you want to be a leader in your company, because they'll give you insights into that culture, but saying, Hey, I just want to know the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like I want a clear picture of uh, kind of, kind of what I'm in for and what are some of the things that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. And if they're saying things that do not sound fun, that they're having to deal with pretty frequently, then it's like, huh, maybe I, maybe I don't want to quite take that leap uh, just yet. Because again, uh, they're going to set them so own, their own selves up for failure. And, and if they really love what they're doing, um, there potentially could be another path, right? So in, in that case, if they really want to advance in their career and leadership doesn't sound fun, you know, encourage them to talk to their leader about what other kinds of um, paths as an individual contributor, could they grow that career and grow that income in? And sometimes there are paths, depends on the size of the company, and sometimes there aren't. But um, it's never, I always say, it's never a good idea to, you know, try to take that leadership position just because you think that's where people expect you to go or where you think you need to be to be successful. Yeah, no kidding. The pressure sometimes is on to do the quote unquote the thing you're expected to do, right? right. <laughs> so let's let's talk about st- stressed out leaders creating stressed out employees. <laughs> yeah, we touched on that a little earlier too. I, I really feel like that is um, something that uh, both leaders have a responsibility to, but also companies. So again, I think I mentioned earlier something about the fact that sometimes we just load so much work on a leader that, you know, kind of we're setting them up for success. And 
and everybody has these potentially these moments where they're extremely stressed out. And in that moment could, you know, snap at a, at a, at a direct report or, you know, do something like that. That's really out of, out of character. Um, so I, I found a trend, which I find really, really interesting in leadership development. A lot of organizations that do this work. And even in, um, I think I was just reading about an MBA program where they've started to focus on mindfulness and leadership, because we know that even just a little bit of mindfulness meditation can help somebody um, think more clearly, um, be less reactive, be a little bit more calm. So we even embedded, and this wasn't necessarily our idea, our education partner that brought the content in for our, our mid-level leaders, our directors and managers showed a video on the one minute meditation. It's out there on YouTube. You can go mm-hmm. watch it. And um, he talked about all the benefits. Like if you're going into a stressful meeting or you've run from one meeting to the next meeting, you you still have a minute. You have a minute to like, go into the washroom or go to your desk and just breathe. That is going to prepare you to be more mentally prepared to go into that meeting and, and handle any challenges or stress in that meeting a little bit better. I think that's a really a positive direction to go. I know some organizations are have a broad swath of that and they're teaching all of their employees to do mindfulness meditation. And I'm not an expert in meditation, but I, I, I've read enough about it to know that oftentimes when I've seen a leader snap, it's because they've had days of chronic stress and they've had no tool to kind of break that pattern. And so you know, having, being able to teach them that, that tool is one piece, but then also companies need to know when they're overloading leaders and employees, but leaders especially too. Uh, And they need to make it okay for leaders to take a break during the day to, to take a quick walk, right? So normalizing those natural breaks to reduce stress in a leader's day, because too often we see, you know, I used to work in healthcare, like leaders are just stressed and stretched and scheduled back to back meetings, running from one building to the other. It it just, it can't be good. <laughs> I'm not a doctor, but it just cannot be good for you to do that day after day in and day out. And um, what ends up happening is not only does it, it can trickle all the way down uh, to clients. So we have a stressed out leader who's stressing out employees that's rippling out to their families. <laughs> um, but it's also rippling out, rippling down into how they treat, uh, how they treat clients and customers as well. So really starts to impact the bottom line of the company. If we're not giving leaders some intentional tools and some intentional pauses during the day where they can just take a breath (laughs) and clear their mind and be able to approach that next problem a little more more calm, less stressed, and um, probably more innovative too, Mm. because they had a chance to just like, you know, clear their mind. And giving the employee the opportunity or the the permission, because that also that that when you when you have the permission to do those things, it also encourages you to do it right when you don't feel like you're being the you're the weird one that's going off you know to <laughs> to take that minute of breathing right when it's just it's just an okay thing to do and it starts to also set in our culture a little more too right it like starts to normalize those things. Yeah. And I think everybody is a little worried. I think again, American culture 
And I think uh, some people grew up, you know, in the eighties where there was a lot of layoffs and that kind of thing. And so people feel like they, they've seen that happen to maybe their parents or maybe it's happened to them. And they feel like if they show that they have a little time in their hands to take a break or take a walk, that they're not valuable or they're not um, working hard enough for the organization, or they never want a colleague to say, well, she must not have enough to do because she's able to take a 15 minute walk every day. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So when that should be normal in my, um, in, in the organization I work for safety is one of our huge values. And so we actually have two 15 minute blocks blocked on our calendar, at least in my department. I think it happens in a lot of different departments. And uh, we do stretching because in a desk environment, that is one of our biggest, uh, you know, kind of risks is injuring ourselves due to the fact that we're sitting too long, which sounds weird, but, um, you know, neck injuries and and wrist injuries and that kind of thing, hip, bad hips. So uh, so we have those intentional times scheduled into our day where we're it's okay to take that stretch break. Now, if you're in a meeting, it's not a big deal. It's not mandatory, but oftentimes people will stretch another time if they're in that meeting, because we we've found that it's been helpful and the, the company sanctions that not every company does that. But the reason that they find it so important is because if we don't work safely at work, that impacts our enjoyment of other things that we do outside of work. So if you like mm-hmm. to run or hike or golf or, um, you know, work on cars or whatever, and you can't bend over because you have a bad back or a sore neck um, or a bad hip, um, you know, that starts to, to impact your personal life. And it's also going to make you more distractible and less productive at work. So it's a win-win uh, for the company and for the employee to take those intentional breaks to take care of themselves. Yeah, well, and that kind of leads nicely into the whole concept around, you know, work and home life. And, you know, there's the 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 concept around work and home life balance and keeping your work and your home life separate. And, that's not, I mean, that's not really real in a lot. Like you say, there's impact either direction. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, with COVID, we, <laughs> our work has come right into our home. Oh if you my gosh. Home, it's come right into our home. Um, and, and two for, for essential workers, I'm sure that their brain is also at home with, uh, with a, a, a spouse who's struggling to homeschool or a sick, a parent who is struggling with COVID or whatever the situation might be. So there is, you know, this whole concept of work-life balance or separating home and, work, uh, you're right, is a myth. I think though in an industrial age, people went to work and nobody really probably um, paid it. You you did your work and you went home. There wasn't this bleeding of of work coming into the home and probably, you know, you'd talk to your coworkers, but but for for the most part, maybe in those industrialized factories, nobody was you know, your leader probably wasn't saying, well, how was your weekend? And they were really more focused on the productivity of the widget you were making. So again, kind of a holdover of that. And how do we, we see a lot of companies now going to unlimited vacation time, uh, unlimited time off, uh, which uh, time will tell. Uh, Some people say that's kind of an experiment. Some people say that's kind of an eroding of of employees rights and maybe, you know, um, an excuse for an employer to take advantage of an employee, like give them so much work, they can never take time off. I have Mm. not seen or heard that happening. But of course, people who are not advocating for that to happen, um, those are some of the reasons they give. And so we'll see how that how that works. But that gives employees really the freedom 
to work when and wherever they want um, because they have that ability to take that unlimited time off. So if they work six hours one day, get with, done what they need to get done, they don't have to take vacation for the other two, right? They're just, you know, mm. they'll, just, they'll just work um, the next day, however many hours they work. But I think too, it also, um, I think leaders struggle a lot with creating clear expectations and setting clear goals and holding people accountable. And in that kind of an environment, again, a whole nother skill set for leaders to learn uh, because if you're not really comfortable with setting clear direction, clear expectations, um, and and setting the right amount of accountability, not micromanaging, but checking in at an appropriate amount of time, uh, th- those can be something that a leader may struggle with as well. So um, I think I think there are some things that people are trying to kind of give us more work life balance. Time will tell whether or not will um, they'll really be successful at. Uh, giving this us this ideal world of working whenever we want and taking as much time off as we want. It just sounds like, like fantasy land, but right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but it, it sure is a, you know, it, it, it's kind of this, you know, pendulum, like you're saying, you know, back when you're wake, making the widgets, you go to work, you do your thing, you come home and you don't, you just have to think about the fact that you're tired from making widgets, right? Which right. still affects your home life. I mean, that's hugely affects your home life. But it's it's like now with the bleeding in, I mean, how many people, you know, we used to have, you had a pager for work and whatever you had for your family. And then you had a cell phone for work and a cell phone for your family. And now it's like, okay, it's all on one. There is no going away from work at home. and some places will, I know, set boundaries and some people will just set boundaries and say, this is what I will and will not do. And then I think of the stress that that causes us. You know, I was talking to somebody about their their phone going off, right, at, on a weekend. And it was like, it was like the tiger's chasing you every time your phone goes off, right? Do I have to deal with this? Is this my problem to take care of? And you don't get that, you know, you don't get that kind of break. And, and then you, if you're in a position where you feel like you can't express a boundary, that's a whole nother situation too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've been reading a lot about different generations and millennials and Xers and all these different generations we have in the workplace and millennials, which, which is, uh, you know, there's a Z's coming into the workplace now, but um, millennials, uh, they are the most at risk in terms of these different cohort groups. They're the most at risk for burnout because they grew up with a lot of this technology and they really have trouble turning it off. Uh, and then on top of that, if the employer doesn't have really clear expectations or boundaries for when work happens, um, they are going to constantly be checking that phone, constantly be be responding and never get a break. So I thought that was really interesting because I think they also, a lot of people think of those new generations coming into the workforce as also being the ones that want the most freedom or want the most uh, you know, flexible benefit, you know, flexible PTO and that kind of thing. And and it's interesting that they are also the most at risk for burnout because they will more than likely, even when they're off, be checking that phone. It's just a natural extension of who they are because they grew up with it. Um, so in terms of setting expectations for working, I oftentimes tell leaders, leaders will say, well, you know, I I'm working late at night because I actually went to my child's basketball game or I left a little early to go here or there. And that's fine, right? As salaried employees, we have the ability and flexibility to do that. And our employers trust us to do our work and get it done. 
but that doesn't mean that you should be sending your your employee a email at 10 o'clock at night. And they're like, well, that's when I was working. <laughs> mm. Yep. But then your your employee is heading to bed and sees an email come in and isn't really sure if they need to respond to it or not. So a couple of things. If, if you if you really have to send that email, put an expectation on it around you don't need to respond to me for three days or next tomorrow or whatever it is, right? Because sometimes somebody just needs to get something off their mind and send the email. That's fine. The other thing I recommend is that Outlook has this great thing called scheduling emails. So if you really need to get the email out and out of your brain, <laughs> you know, write the email, write the communication, and then schedule it to send at eight o'clock the next morning so that your employee, right? So we have some of this technology that allows us to work those flexible hours when we need to and when we want to and not stress out our employees because we appear to be working as leaders every single second or even as an employee, right? You may mm-hmm. have, an, have a leader who is really good at setting boundaries and you're the employee sending an email at 10 o'clock at night. So again, leveraging technology and setting some expectations as a group. What's an emergency? If it is emergency, do I call? If if it's an email, it's not an emergency. Don't worry about responding to it right away, right? So some of those norms, group norms can help some of that balance. Yeah. Well, it is really hard as an employee sometimes to know what, yeah, what is the expectation? And if you want to shine for the employer and you want to be the problem solver or you want to feel like you're dedicated, right, or be perceived that way, um, it does it does muddy the waters a little bit. Yeah, length of time in the seat or length of time in um, in front of a computer should not equal value to the company. I know that there are companies out there <laughs> that still have that philosophy. Like if you work 25 hours a day, uh, you know, you're going to be more valuable than somebody who works only works 24, uh, you know. So it, it, is a, it, is, it is a reality in some organizations. But if that's not the case in your organization, you know, you also have some responsibility to set some boundaries. And if nobody's talking to you about expectations and boundaries as an employee, go and talk to your leader about what it, what are your expectations? They should be having that conversation, but if they're not, bring it up. What are my expectations in terms of how quickly I respond to you? What if I'm, what if it's on a weekend? You know, what are your expectations? So having that conversation can take a lot of the angst out of it. Cause I think a lot of people don't have that conversation. So then they default to just responding any time of the day or night. So that yeah. that conversation can definitely relieve a little bit of angst and stress. Well, and sometimes having that voice to voice when somebody can hear you sincerely say, no, really, if I send an email at 10 o'clock, you don't have to do anything with it unless I say it's urgent or whatever. Yeah, I routinely get an email, get emails from a coworker who uh, who leaves a little earlier in the afternoon to be with his children, and then he works. He likes to work late, so hey, I, I I'm surprised. I'm never surprised when I get an email at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. He just likes to work late. So, but of course, I'm not awake to get the email. But you know, some people might feel that pressure to respond to him anytime he, you know, he sends them an email. I'm one of those people who is 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 often working very very late, so. <laughs> It's a, it's a good reminder for me because I did have somebody say to me a little while ago, she's like, well, I wasn't going to respond. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I didn't want you to respond. I just was you know, just sending it on its way. <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's where you have your energy. Certainly that's, I mean, you know, that's where you, when you should be doing your work, if that's when you have your energy. Uh, and, and that's the beauty of being able to tell, give people the freedom that have more energy in the evening to do something different during the day and do some of their work hours 
their best thinking or writing, whatever it is in the evenings. But, um, but yeah, it can be challenging when we are working with others. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it is interesting with COVID how much that's going to shift and, and it will be, it will be interesting. Cause I know for some people, you know, being home has been the best thing in their lives. And for other people, it is the worst thing in their lives. Right. I mean, it's not for everybody and there's a lot of surrounding circumstances. Um, so I was hearing somebody talk about like, we just downsized our house and now I don't have to, like now working at home is horrible. If we would have just not quite, you know, Maria condoed our life so well, we would have been okay. And it's, it's, so it's an interesting thing of just, yeah, what, what's your home working environment too, obviously, but it will be, it will be interesting to see how this shakes out. And if we do um, get a little, you know, earn a little more flexibility or be perceived as earning a little more flexibility. I mean, I think of, I think of how our culture is such work, 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 right? Then the more tired you are, the better of an employee you are. And I think if these other countries that have like a ton of vacation, and I've seen multiple studies that say that they're actually more productive, you know, in all of the time together, they're still more productive than we are here in our country, which is fascinating. Yeah, I think the the productivity your productivity actually starts to degrade at 42 hours. So so you know, even a couple of extra hours during the week your product you actually are going backwards because you are not working as fast and efficiently and as innovatively, creatively as you would had you only worked 40 hours. And I think the average, don't quote me on this, but I think the average work week in uh, the U.S. is probably 45 or 48. I feel like it's kind of in that mid to to high um, range. It's not 40. So again, are we really, you know, we're asking people to spend more time or we have this expectation or people are spending more time at work, but are they giving us their best? Probably not. So again, that kind of that American culture piece. It's interesting. I haven't talked to a lot of people who live in the United States, but work for companies in other countries. Um, But again, I wonder if uh, some of these things that we're talking about, some of the challenges we're talking about wouldn't exist because some of it's so related to um, this American dream drive thing that we have. Yeah, is there like a, a worldwide leadership, like the work you do? conversation or, you know, conference, because I think that would be a fascinating thing to learn about what are other countries challenges and successes and how have they what have they what creative strategies have they done to to overcome something and how much of that is culture and how much of that is just an idea and what what can we all adopt from each other that just makes us all better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's one global organization. I know there's a lot of us doing this work all across the globe. Um, but, uh, but, and I haven't worked with any leaders in, in a, a company in a, in a different country either. So again, working with them might be completely different than, um, or some of the, some of the themes that come up quite often for an American leader might be very different for a leader in Norway or China. That would be fascinating. I know, you know, even just how we think in different countries, like again, India is very much, um, and they actually had new, I was reading newspapers, um, articles about this when I was there, but they were talking about how, you know, it's a very memorized step by step by step by step. Everything is just very, very specific. And that creative thinking isn't something that they were valuing in their culture. And they were saying, we really need to shift our thinking about this. But it was interesting from the working stories that I heard about, you know, how some of the employees were amazing 
at, you give them a task and if there was directions, it will get done and it will get done right. And it will get done efficiently, but to broaden the thinking on a, on a creative basis, something that we often take a little bit for granted um, because of our culture, it was like, I don't have a clue how that works. And it was, it was such a learning experience to just see that difference. And it's, you know, it's such a eye opener. Yeah. And I think um, artificial intelligence coming in is a complete disruptor into this leadership world. Is it what made me think of this as you were talking about, uh, you know, somebody who um, just just give me the task and I'll do it. And we, and we need to build this innovation piece. The, um, the things that maybe a frontline leader or a frontline employee would be doing are, are very quickly becoming automated. And even, like I said, the, the leadership portion, scheduling, uh, even some there's, they say that even some aspects of uh, like performance reviews could be automated. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So, uh, so I, I'm not a, a, an AI expert by any means, but some of the things that I'm reading about um, really tell me that what will be left of leadership, what will be left to do as an employee and what will be left to do as a leader will have to do with innovative thinking the things the machines can't do, right? Um, working with people and connecting with people and growing people and and the whole collaboration and communication and, um, and innovation piece. So no time like the present to make sure people are developing those skills because those jobs that are just move the widget here and do this here and, you know, put these numbers in this spreadsheet. <laughs> uh, those are, those are very quickly going, going away. And I'm not sure that we have kept up with the training that we need to for mm-hmm. employees and leaders to be able to compete in in that world yet. Well, we That's- shall see what comes. Huh? <laughs> as long as AI doesn't take over podcasting, we're good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, don't give anybody any ideas. <laughs> so what what do you think in our in our work or in our culture that ends up kind of creating an ineffective leader? I, I don't think it's a like it's just a couple of things. It's probably many things. Uh, but I, I, we talked already a little bit about selection and how we might not select um, a leader who who is fully prepared to do that. And I think sometimes we, when we promote those folks who are not in it for the right reasons, they're not in it because they love to grow people or they like challenges. Um, They like to be able to move a team, move people through a process. Uh, Those folks will rely on their title. They'll rely on their positional power rather than what is even more powerful, which most leaders probably don't realize, but what is more powerful is their, their informal influence, their ability to connect, their ability to to have empathy and to care for and cheer for their employees as people. And so I I really feel like there could be many reasons why we get ineffective leaders. A a key one is, you know, that, that selection process that we just don't select the right person. And then again, that we just don't start out providing feedback and making that a normal, natural part of the process. I think we also as leaders make or as companies assume that people will understand what the behavioral expectations will be, right? We don't think we should have to say, oh, and by the way, we we don't want you to be a jerk to your people. Um, <laughs> right? We think that we should we should, you know, people that, that the leader just assumes that and that they're gonna be fine. 
But sometimes, and I, I, you know, I say that jokingly, but we really talk oftentimes to leaders in their first week or their first months about what needs to get done. And again, that goes back to task and not people. Instead of saying, I expect that you'll meet with your people every week. Here's what I expect. Some of the things you'll talk about. I expect that you'll have a monthly or a quarterly or a yearly development conversation with them, right? So we as companies oftentimes, or as leaders above these leaders, oftentimes don't set those behavioral expectations up front until we're frustrated with them because they didn't have the one-on-one conversation. And then we wonder why they didn't. And, and it's because, right, we made an assumption that they would just naturally do that. And oftentimes people don't, especially if we don't put a focus on that right from the start. Yeah, it's it's interesting when I think of different leadership styles and the people who gravitate towards different leaderships, like, like you're saying, why are they in it? Well, our structure is also, you know, like we talked about, it's built on leadership equals money, right? So if you're chasing the paycheck, and not like you're saying, growing people and the people aspect of it, you know, those are two very different drivers and they're going to lead to different personalities, you know, doing the leading, you know, and think about who do you, who do you want to be led by? You know, you've got the boss that people perceive as the powerful guy, right? And, and then you've sometimes got the people that you think, oh my gosh, it would be such a joy to work for them. And they can be the same person as well, but sometimes they're clearly not. And, you know, so I think that's exactly what you're talking about was that is that sort of, you know, that ego driven, I'm the boss, because I want the money. And that's, it's an easy way, in some ways, if you've got the personality to just, I'm the boss, therefore do what I say, it's it's not pleasant for anybody, but it's easy for some people. (laughs) So yeah, so Judy, you made a really good point about um, money and leadership being two different, very two different paths, two different motivators. So true. And again, kind of comes back to um, how we're how we're driven, and how we think about success. And the really ironic part about the fact that a leader who is really money driven will oftentimes, you know, climb that ladder for the money, but they probably could have made just as much money, or even maybe even more by rather than then maybe using that positional power and that title and and probably leaving a lot of unhappy employees in their wake, they probably would have gotten to the same place, to the same level of position or to the same level of success or money, however they want to define that, by really focusing in on that um, informal power, the power of their relationships. So it's really kind of a, it's kind of a, um, uh, not a natural way of thinking, but I, I really encourage leaders to to um, to not get lured by money because leadership is just a really hard job. And again, as I said earlier, it is a privilege. It is not a destination. And once you're there, you have a lot of responsibility, a lot of power. You can do a lot of good for your employees. You can also do a lot of damage to your employees. So please consider all of those things before you go after the title and the money. Well, and I think one of the quotes of, if someone thinks you don't care, they won't follow you for long is, and I don't know where that quote comes from. That sounds like a John, is it John Maxwell? I just wrote it down. I think it's Oh, okay. (laughs) 
I'm quoting you then. Um, <laughs> it's a Don Johnson quote. Um, but I think it's really, but I think it's really true, right? Like, or if they do follow you, I mean, some people will follow people for the money, right? Like that, we, we see evidence of that all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a different kind of relationship. It's a different kind of enjoyment. And it's a different kind of following, you know, um, the strong leaders who have loyal teams and people who stick with them. It's a whole different strength and uh, an environment and energy that surrounds that. Yeah, I think energy is the right word, right? Because when you've worked on a team that has trust and that loves what they do and they have a leader who has their back and they trust that leader and the leader trusts them, they are firing on all cylinders. And what a joy to work in a team like that. And uh, people fear losing that. And, you know, a change in a teammate or a change in a leader can, can disrupt that. And you may never have that experience again. And I think that's really sad. I think more people should be able to have that experience of really working with uh, that team where they just all love what they're doing and, and are looking out for each other. And too many people have never had that experience. And I think that's really sad. Yeah. If more people would, they would expect more and, and companies or, or teams would have to, and leaders would probably have to deliver yeah. I, I, again, I, I think we have to raise the bar. We have to set higher expectations. Employees, um, again, uh, by leaving organizations, that's at this point, maybe your only power you have to kind of protest um, a culture that doesn't support really positive leadership. Again, we expect a lot out of our leaders, but I think we should. I think we we should, because I don't think that we're always we're setting a high bar, but we're not always holding them accountable to reach that high bar in terms of how they treat people. They may be getting results. And back to the question about how do we get ineffective leaders? Uh, sometimes we are just looking at the results and we're never asking how they're getting those results and you know what, how they're treating their people or how their people feel about being led by them or having even the success that they've had in the way that they've had it because we are just looking at the end result and we're not looking at what is happening beneath that surface. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are your people following you out of fear or are they following you out of, out of loyalty? Yeah. Right. You, you will have some people who will for a while follow you, follow you out of fear or out of feeling trapped, right? Mm-hmm. The golden handcuffs that, you yep. know, whatever that might be. But you're right. If, if somebody doesn't feel like you care, they're not going to follow you for long. They might follow you for a year, might follow you for a couple of years. But if they feel like they have other opportunities, which I, I would argue that people always do even more now than even 10 years ago, um, just because of remote work. But, um, you know, they're there. Um, I think we're going to start to see more people churn, which will put the pressure on leadership development professionals and leaders and companies to make sure that they have that they differentiate themselves with really good leaders. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, let's come back to that. Like all of this that we've talked about is about our health and wellness and functioning in the world and, and how well we do that. And I think that's, it's a, be- it's a beautiful thing to recognize because I think it's a great reason why we should uh, change our culture around leadership and workplaces and things like that, because it just has so many awesome benefits for 
for everyone, including the the bottom dollar to the company and our health system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, (laughs) It ripples out everywhere. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does. It it really, it really does. And, and then two other, like you've pointed out two other people as well. Um, So how do we, you've got some ideas about how to reduce stress for both the leaders and the employees. Yes. So I said, whether you're an employee who is struggling with a leader or whether you're a leader who is struggling, get a really good support system. And that could be somebody at work, a mentor or a peer, um, or it could be somebody in your personal life, but, but get somebody who can help you get perspective that can support you emotionally, who, um, you know, if you're really struggling with a leader, maybe it's somebody outside of your work that can give you some objective advice and not be involved in the situation themselves. And so they, they have a little bit clearer picture, but, but seek that support. Don't try to struggle with this alone or feel like it is, uh, just, you just have to have to live with it or, um, that it's expected, uh, that this is that, you know, this is a behavior that's acceptable. So definitely get a, a support system again for leaders. Uh, it c- could be their, their leader. If they don't have a good relationship with their leader, um, ask in HR, if there's somebody like me who, who, you know, can give them some perspective, some coaching, um, or uh, obviously somebody, a close friend or colleague that works outside the company could also be help as well, but make sure they choose somebody who will have some, will be strong enough to give them some tough love if needed, because Mm -hmm. I think uh, oftentimes leaders need that somebody who will give them that true perspective, support them, but yet also kind of push them a little bit. The other thing I think that that um, employees can do, of course, employees and leaders take care of yourself, take breaks when you need to. I oftentimes ask, well, how do I, how do I, when I'm scheduled back to back to back with meetings, how do I even, you know, be able to take a little break to go get a walk or whatever it is, make appointments with yourself. It is okay to schedule time. Now don't schedule the whole day for yourself, obviously, but scheduling 15 minutes, 20 minutes, um, or, you know, getting away from your desk for lunch. I know it's hard sometimes when we work from home to do that, but uh, making sure that you take your breaks and take care of yourself, because again, that has a lot to do with your energy, how you, how you will innovate and collaborate at the second half of the day, the rest of the day. Um, and it's also going to help you have more energy to be able to bring, bring home and having those little refreshing breaks throughout the day will allow you to, to go home a little less exhausted, probably still tired, but a little less exhausted. I think too, that of course I'm a lifelong learner, so I would say this. <laughs> so, but I think if you are, especially if you are a learner, you have to have a continuous learning mindset. And so again, being curious about feedback, being curious about how you can be better, reading books, listening to podcasts, um, going to conferences, sucking up any kind of education you get that your company can give you um, on how to lead better, any opportunity, take it, because I feel like that will, um, the stronger you can be as a leader, the less stressed you'll be, and the less likely you will be to kind of resort to that, um, to snap or to resort to that positional power, because you will have some of that skill set that you need. For employees, same thing, uh, because we never know 
whether uh, we work for a team that we love and a leader that we love or not, when the next opportunity will come or when the next opportunity will be made for us, right? If we are laid off, um, whatever, whenever that may come. So I always encourage people, you will be less stressed and you will be better prepared and more resilient when that time comes when, and if you you know, commit to that continuous learning again, reading books, uh, continuing, continuing your education, uh, whatever that is, protect yourself and give yourself lots of options. So if something changes in that team, if something changes in that organization and you find yourself in a situation where you need to get out, you may be in a better position to get yourself out faster rather than having to tolerate something that's intolerable for a while. We've talked a little bit about this already, but to help leaders and to help employees out by setting those clear expectations for leaders to make sure that they're focused on people and not just task. Again, we've talked a little bit about this as well, but seeking that feedback early and often for leaders and making that a part, a normal, natural part of your development process. And start that process as soon as you can. As soon as you become a leader, expect even before you become a leader that that will be part of the process or that's something that you should commit to if there isn't a formal feedback process in your company. Uh, Make that a commitment to yourself because uh, without that feedback, you could be going down a path that will be very stressful for you, very stressful for your employees. And again, your employees probably aren't going to tell their new boss (laughs) what they need or want or what is not going right. Um, That is a huge ask for an employee to, you know, do that for a new leader. But if the new leader is setting that expectation that they want the feedback and that they're committed to change and committed to being the best they can for the team, then uh, that becomes a a, a great uh, way to keep everybody uh, from from experiencing a lot of a lot of stress and anxiety. Well, and I think of when you've already got that culture set up. Like if you're already feedback is sort of the norm, then if there is some high, you know, you're feeling the tension and you don't know what it's about, it's a lot easier to ask for it in that moment, and the person trusts you that they can give it ra- rather than kind of waiting for something to blow, right? When it's just normal, you know, you're going to have that opportunity to talk about it and, and maybe it's, it's not going to build up so intensely. Yeah. Oftentimes companies only find out there's an issue with a leader, maybe in an exit interview, right? So that may be the first time that that company is asking them for some detailed feedback about their experience with the company and the leader. And that isn't the best time to get that information. Um, so <laughs> not really. <laughs> I mean, it is one way to get it, but it's probably not the best way to get it. Um, be, you know, and that person's perspective is maybe different from another person's perspective, right? But it's still valuable. It's a valuable perception. And it's a reason why they left. Their perception is their reality. It's the reason why they decided to make a move. So if you can get that before the exit interview, that would be ideal. <laughs> Yes, more fiscally responsible. It costs a lot of money to to uh, replace an employee and train them, right? So it does, it does, and yeah, it, it it takes a lot of money to replace an employee, and it and you don't know how many other employees that that person is supervising that maybe are on the verge of the cusp of leaving as well. So, mm-hmm. um, 
companies and HR departments uh, keep an eye on high turn of people who we talked about people being promoted out of departments. That's when somebody's growing, uh, growing their employees. But if people are leaving the company or you're seeing a ton of turnover in an area, uh, that is a red flag to step in and maybe ask some questions of the employees and of the leader. And uh, hopefully you have a leader who's humble enough to be able to say, yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I'd like to know because I'd like it to not be so uncomfortable or I'd like it to be a more cohesive team. And hopefully they can help you unpack or uncover what's going on. Yeah. So let us know, you know, how do we, how do we find you? And I also want to point out, you've got some really cool blog posts on your, on your website that are very interesting from the perspective from the perspective of an employee, um, I can't, I don't remember if they were written that way, but I know looking at them, I thought, Ooh, I've, I've got to read some of these. These are, these are good. So yeah. Tell us how to find you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, so you can, you can learn more about me and you can learn about the assessments I use and you can read my blog posts on my website. It's uh, www ontherisedevelopment.com. You can also get in touch with me there. So there's a contact form or you can email me directly at info at ontherisedevelopment.com. You can also connect to me on LinkedIn. I have a personal page as well as a business page. So if you want to follow On The Rise Development on LinkedIn, um, anything new, exciting that will be happening with my business will be announced on there. So I'd love to connect with anybody who would like to get a little geeky about leadership because that's what I love. Nice. So is it, are you typically working with, with companies? Do you do any one-on-one work as well? No. Yeah. A lot of times I work one-on-one with leaders. Sometimes they are contacting me to, um, and they'll have their company pay for their assessment, but you know, they found me as a resource. Um, I have done, I haven't worked with, um, large groups of teams within organizations. I've done some proposals for folks that are out there um, saying, Oh, I could do this for, you know, these five leaders in a, in a team. So either, either way I can work with an HR professional who's looking to um, they don't have somebody internally in their organization that's certified in a tool like this. I can work with groups of leaders in a company or if an individual leader is curious about this and uh, wants to work with me directly, they can do that as well. Either way. Okay. Awesome. All right. When you're thinking about the people that you are looking to reach out to you, who would that, who would that generally be then that would be the leaders in the, in, in the company or the HR people? Yeah, either, either one, if it's a leader, you know, I'm looking, my ideal client is somebody who's been leading people, not a project, but people for at least a year. Um, They are really curious and open to this process of getting some feedback. Um, they want to be the best for their team and, um, and they're, they're, um, you know, ready and willing to accept whatever information comes out of that feedback assessment. Um, for an HR professional, again, uh, a lot of times there aren't people in, in, side of an organization. Oftentimes leadership development is part of somebody's job. By the way, after you get done paying people and making sure they have all their benefits, could you develop a few leaders? So so sometimes organizations don't uh, have uh, dedicated leadership development folks. And so there isn't the capacity internally to um, certify, to spend time certifying or doing this process or coaching. And uh, so that is also a role I could play for an organization who would like that 
that external resource. Okay, cool. So yeah, you really can work with pretty much any size company then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Entrepreneurs all the way up, as long as they're leading people, entrepreneurs, small businesses, all the way up to larger companies. Most of the, most of the leaders I've worked with have been in, in um, mid-size to larger companies, but could be any, any leader of any size team. Awesome. Okay. Well, this has been great. I, um, I really appreciate you being willing to, to do this because I just, like I say, it's, it's these kinds of topics that I think are so important to kind of look at the health aspect of it, you know, of us individually and as groups and how that affects all of us. Cause I think it's just, you know, work is a, like you say, you're spending 48 hours a week there. <laughs> you know, and your mind is there often way more than that. So, you know, how can everybody make it a better a better experience for everybody um in the office and and outside the office cuz you know, yeah, that makes such a difference. So, I appreciate you sharing your expertise with us and uh, giving us some food for thought and uh and being a resource. This is great. Great. Well, thank you for having me. This was really fun. And uh, like I said, I enjoy to talk leadership with, with uh, folks. So this was really fun for me. Thanks, Judy. Good. Yes. And, uh, and Dawn in the future will be having her own podcast that's in the works. Yeah, that's exciting. So keep an <laughs> ear out for that. Uh, yes. So if you're following on the rise development on LinkedIn, that's probably where it will get announced uh, first. But yes, I hope in uh, the spring, late April or early May, potentially to have my my podcast uh, launched, it will be called the fractured leadership podcast. And my goal is to be able to tell some stories about leadership that has gone awry um, with the purpose of learning from them. And um, I called it the Fractured Leadership Podcast and not the Broken Leadership Podcast because I feel like fractured, when you think about a fracture, it can be fixed, it can be prevented. And so I really hope that we can take some of these stumbles that leaders, that that employees have experienced around leadership and we can turn them into learning moments for existing and future leaders. That is fantastic. I love that. <laughs> yes. Well, we, like you say, what a great way to learn, right? And, you know, you can listen and go, oh, I I know that feeling. I better, you know, <laughs> what's the solution? What can I have in my back pocket for next time? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, this has been a great time. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I hope you had as much fun hanging out with us as we did chatting with each other. Check out her website at ontherisedevelopment.com just to give you a taste of the blog post titles from buddy to boss making the transition from coworker to supervisor shattered in a moment the fragility of trust and another is the four letter word leaders need to stop saying now hmm i just wonder what that four letter word could be hmm i guess you'll just have to read it to find out thank you so much for listening Music used for this episode is from Brent A. Ryland and John Lyle from the album Synthetic Universe. Intro music is from Ethereal Float. Outro music is from Pleiadian Sky. And the underlying open quote sample is from the album Wormholes 
and the song is Remember. And if you want to check out more of John Lyle's music, you can do that at johnlyle.com. The spelling of that is J-O-H-N-L-Y-E-L-L. You can also connect through the show notes to his website and the podcast's Amazon affiliate website. Take care of yourself. Be well. We'll talk to you soon. In the meantime, may you continue to find the pieces that fit beautifully into your health and wellness puzzle. Take care.